Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Creative Endeavor, the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. And in this episode, I've got something a little bit different in store for you. Now, you might know, but over the past few years, I've done some personal coaching in conjunction with my teaching, YouTube tutorials, and of course, keeping up with a steady flow of studio work. And with my coaching sessions, I'm primarily trying to help young up-and-coming artists really find their artistic voice and start off on their artistic journey with a bit of confidence. I don't do much of it anymore, but there is one person that I have kept in touch with and have kind of taken on as my protege, if you will. He's an extraordinary young lad based in Colorado in the United States. And over the past few years, he's even become a really good friend of mine. His name is Cody, and we get together about once a month for a Skype session where he gets to ask me questions about my art and my approach to my creative practice and coach him along a little bit with the projects that he's working on and also some of the things that he's struggling with in his art. Well, Cody hit me up one day via email with a list of questions that he wanted some answers to, and these actually were a mirror image of many of the questions that I get through Instagram or through my website. So I said to Cody, hey, why don't I just answer some of these questions and we record the call and put it out there as a podcast? So in this episode, it's going to be a little bit different. My guest, Cody, is going to be interviewing me. Now, again, a little more background on Cody. Cody is growing up in rural Colorado, and you might hear a few strange sounds in the background. His family actually rehabilitate mountain lions, and they've got about six mountain lions in captivity on their property that they are rescuing, rehabilitating, and bringing back to health, eventually to be released back into the wild. Now, Cody is an exceptional painter in his own right. I was blown away by his talent when I met him when he was 12 years old. I really admire his passion and his dedication to his art, and I know he's going to go really, really far. Now, if you can stand listening to my voice for the next hour and a half, then stick around. I really hope that you enjoy this episode of The Creative Endeavor. Let's just jump into it. Cody, great to see you. Look, we've been talking. Let me just let people know that are that are listening. We've been talking on and off for the last uh, probably about three years now. Um, you first emailed me a while ago, showing me some examples of your work, and I was just blown away by the quality. Yeah, we started talking. We started My first email I sent you was in December of 2016. Wow. Okay. And we you first know, I, started talking. I just want to, I just want to just cut in here for one, one second, one second, because uh, just to let people know, if you hear that strange row, row sound in the background, it's because Cody and his family rehabilitate uh, rescued mountain lions in Colorado. And how many, how many mountain lions do you have on your property? Uh, six. We have Jeez. six. 
Gee, that's that's a lot of big cats. That's a lot of killing machines right there. Beautiful animals, though, right? Very, very beautiful. So let's um let's jump into this. I I I think it's it's fantastic um opportunity to do a podcast in a little bit of a different way, Cody, because you have emailed me some questions that are just fantastic questions. A lot of a lot of questions that people would love to have. Um, you know, answers too. And I just thought, well, uh, these are actually really commonly asked questions. And I'm normally writing back to people on an individual basis. So I thought, what a great way. Let's just take one of our normal coaching sessions that you and I do. And let's just throw these out there to the world and just give you the opportunity to ask me these questions. Um, really? Yeah. I think, I think it will fill in a lot of gaps for people. So should we just jump into it? All right. When, uh, let's see here. When and how did you start your art career? when and how did I start my art career? Huh? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a tough one because I, I started my career. I was, I was always very serious. You know, I was a bit like you, I mean, you're, you're, you're a young guy, you know, you, you take your art very seriously. So I, I would almost be, you know, asking asking you the same thing when did you start your art career and you'd be like well i've already started i started years ago you know so it's mm-hmm. the same for me the paintings that you're doing let's let's jump into this because there's something that i really admire about you cody about the quality of your work and the variety of the subjects that you tackle mm-hmm. and i was a lot like that when i first started out you know i i was um not quite to the same extent that your family is but i was surrounded by animals because i was i was grew up basically having to go to the zoo uh every weekend school holiday you name it because both my parents actually worked in zoos as i was growing yeah. up so i had a constant um inspiration that way and i knew from a very young age that i wanted to be an artist so it was a kind of a natural transition to kind of go into a career doing that. Um, I, I did have the support and encouragement of my father, um, who was, you know, before he was working at, at the zoo, he, he was a professional sculptor. He pretty much took about a 10-year hiatus to, to work, you know, at the zoo for an income before going back to it again professionally. But some of my first um, commercial jobs were when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old doing, uh, doing professional like commercial art work for uh, companies. My, my, my biggest client though was the zoo. <laughs> so it was a bit of an inside job there, but I, um, I would do graphics and logos for the zoo. And um, when we moved to Australia, it was a, it was a Perth zoo mainly that, um, that I was doing that for. So if there was a... If there was a sign to go up, uh, you know, for for say the the new reptile house, um, or there was yeah. animatronic dinosaurs that came to the zoo, they did this thing called Jurassic Park back in the day, <laughs> and um, I uh, my job um, as as a kid was to do. Uh, Dad just said, "Hey, you like drawing T Rex?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "You want to do it for a sign?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I, I drew and then I covered it with paint and did this big T-Rex to match the animatronic T-Rex. And then that was sitting on the big billboard as you drive into the zoo. So wow. I kind of got a, I got, a, got a taste for that, you know, from a very early age. And those were some really important lessons. It naturally kind of prepared me to go into the professional world. Um, and I started painting professionally when I was 21. But I must oh, wow. say, you know, 
it, it has changed over the years, the, the way that I conduct myself and do business, uh, the different types of businesses that I'm involved in now, it, it has changed, it's evolved, it's gone through a progression. Yep. So, you know, I guess that covers a little bit of the why and the how, or, or when and the how, beg your pardon. Um, but I, I, think, I think the thing that people mainly would want to know is, you know, a lot of people are interested in becoming professional artists, making a living doing this because it's an unusual way to make a living. Not many people do it. So, you know, 21, I'd have to say I was 21 years of age when I left my job and my Mm. only source of income was art. And that was the last job I had. Um, And that job, if if you want to know or anybody else wants to know, was working in a giant milk fridge for a uh-huh. very big dairy company uh, in Western Australia. And um, I, I basically, I, I joked at the time that my job was uh, to turn on the light anytime somebody opened the door. But um, oh. yeah, it wasn't a very glamorous <laughs> job. It was, uh, it was very smelly and very cold. <laughs> and I got uh-huh. out of there, man. I got out of there at 21. And it was selling paintings and drawings for me from there on out. Wow. Yeah. Um, so does that re- does that answer it? Yeah, I, I think it does. Yeah, so I, I should really we should we jump into your second question? We've got we've got a few questions to get through here. Yeah, and we do. I, I, I do have the tendency to talk a lot. So uh, let's get on with number two. That's what this is all about. <laughs> hearing uh, kind of hearing about your kind of story and uh, and how you kind of got your uh, whole career going. Absolutely. All right. Um, what were your biggest challenges and uh, when you started and how did you overcome them? That's wow. uh, interesting to me. Yeah. Really curious. You know, um, it, it's funny because when, when, we, when we start thinking about, you know, what our career is going to, to be like from the outset, we we have this uh, kind of tendency to to embellish and, and create this fantasy of what we think it's going to be like. Um, I certainly did starting out. I thought, you know, I'm never going to take direction from anybody. I'm not going to I'm not going to have a boss. And whilst that's true in a certain sense, you know, I I, I also thought, you know, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want whenever I want. Um, I did certainly have some some fantasy about it being easy. Um, And the main challenges started to appear within the first couple of years in a, in a very big way. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the challenge, the biggest challenge with being a professional artist is, you know, you don't have anybody to rely on for your source of income. It actually comes down to you. And whilst that might seem like a bit of a no brainer and a bit of a like, well, duh, Andrew, of course that, security of being able to rely on a paycheck from somebody else there's a certain amount of of comfort that that brings um and it is something that i i must admit uh, admit from time to time I, I do miss i do i do miss that sense of of being able to rely on something that you can count on um right. so one of the things that i realized from the outset you know when i when i was just starting out very young I, I realized I'm going to have to have a drive and a discipline here to 
ensure that I get paid. Because if, right. if it's going to be, it's up to me, as, as the old you know, saying goes. So I had to make sure that I, I totally committed myself and worked out some sort of system to be able to produce so that I could rely on um, you know, a, a, a reliable source of income. Therein lied the biggest, the biggest challenge for me because that challenge you know, took the form of you know, discipline. I didn't have any. You know, starting yeah. out, like I, I was, I was a serious person. I was, I was serious about my art. I really wanted to make it work, but yeah. I wasn't really prepared for the amount of hours that that would take. And I got lucky, and and my luck and my my good fortune earlier in my career caused me to get a little bit lazy and a little bit complacent. And I started to kind of just rest and 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 relax into the fact that I, I might be able to get by just by doing knocking out a painting here and there. But you know, when when the bottom falls out of the economy or the client doesn't show up and and you're left holding the the the, the painting, holding the bag, so to speak, um, what are you gonna do? And so that discipline was something that I, I felt I needed, you know, to make sure that I, I always produced over and above whatever was was required, whatever was asked of me. Right. And Without somebody there pushing you, without a boss or having somebody that was actually set the pace, set the disciplines, you know, and, and was able to say, all right, you need to show up at nine o'clock and this is your job and you can leave when it's done. You know, it's, it's difficult to, to rely on yourself for mm -hmm. that. So I, I think, I think self-discipline, self-motivation was, was a big challenge in the beginning. So the only way to overcome mm -hmm. that is to exercise things that, you know, exercise in a way, and when I say exercise, I don't necessarily mean physical exercise, although that can be part of it, but exercise in a way that, that it requires sure. discipline to do that thing. Mm, right. So, yeah, I, I, I would say that when I started, um, I started training in martial arts um, in my mid-20s. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah, um, and I, I was I was okay at it, but uh, I also started weight training. Um, you wouldn't tell now by the the look of me, but um, I, I was pretty serious about weightlifting. And one of the things that I realized uh, in those disciplines is that they required a certain amount of dedication and drive for you to be able to just show up and do the exercises, you know, and show up and, 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 and go through that. Otherwise you don't progress. There's a real physical, tangible, um, example that you get from, from going through that. Otherwise you just, you don't get your belt. You don't move on to the next stage or you're not able to, to lift that amount of weight. If you don't show up and do it, you know, who are you kidding? So, um, that was something that was really big, uh, you know, deciding factor for me in terms of, having some sort of physical discipline that then related to whatever discipline mm -hmm. I was trying to cultivate within my artistic practice. It was this weird mental shift. It's like, if I can dedicate myself enough to show up, to go to the gym, uh, on a daily basis and lift weights for, for a couple hours a day, then what else can I do? So oh, that was a really, yeah. really important thing for me to overcome, um, those, those challenges. So, what what's what I found now is as I get older and as I start to progress in my career, um, 
those disciplines are, are becoming more and more important. And I, I'm now becoming more and more grateful for those, those uh, you know, examples and life lessons that I've had to go through to kind of, uh, you know, cultivate that discipline. Because it, it does take a lot of discipline now to wake up at 4 a.m., show up and okay. start painting at 5 um, and, and to be able to sustain practice for 12 hours, good hours in the day, and then also do all of the extra business stuff that's required. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm out there just working as hard as I possibly can. And it's not because I feel like, um, I, I'm addicted to it, but it, it, it's not, it's not out of a competition type thing or anything like that. But I, I need to make sure that I've only got a set amount of time here. I'm also very aware of that. So I know that it's going to take discipline and I know it's going to take the, a sheer volume of work and hours to achieve what I really want to achieve. So right. um, I, I would have to say, going back to your original question, you know, what, what were my biggest challenges and how do I overcome them? I'd say that's a really big one um, is having right. supportive discipline. I do want to just insert something else here. Um, because one of the challenges that I did face, um, and, and I, before I get into this, I'm not saying that I, I, I'm in no way or, or by any means a victim. I don't consider myself that. But like a lot of kids growing up, you know, going through school, I, I also, you know, went through bullying. You know, some people do, some people don't. And I was just one of those kids who got my, my butt kicked and, and was teased and names and all that sort of stuff. School was difficult for me. You know, I was, I was a bit different. I was a bit strange. I didn't know how to behave. You know, I, I was weird. Um, I didn't know how to nav navigate those social waters at all. Um, so that was something else. It was a huge challenge for me to overcome. And that, of course, whatever you go through in school and whatever you go through in your, your, your younger years, does tend to carry on into adulthood. It does seem to have something to do with, with your particular makeup, the type of decisions that you make, and the direction right. it needs to go. When I look back on it now, um, it's not that I'm grateful for the school bullies. I, I, it's, it's not that. It, but I, I do recognize that the result of that forced me to go in, into myself and, and start to explore what made me tick. Um, and that threw me even more into my creative practice because that was the one thing that I could rely on. That was the one thing when I, I would draw and paint, I didn't feel lonely. I didn't, I yeah. didn't feel uh, so bad for, for not having any friends. You know, my only friend uh, when I was going through high school, um, mm -hmm. my only friend went to another high school. And so we would only see each other, uh, you know, on, on weekends um, and school holidays and stuff. So, you know, I, I would sit there in the lunchroom and, and um, uh, or, or it, during lunch, sorry, I'd sit in the art department. And I'd draw, draw pictures. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's what I did. I, I didn't really, in the end, I didn't really talk to anybody and really hang out with anybody. I was just felt kind of isolated. That was a massive challenge to overcome. But the only thing that got me out of that was my art. Um, the, the reason I wanted to put this in there is because I, I know whether, you know, I do get some emails about this, but I do know that there's a heck of a lot of people out there that are getting bullied and are, you know, getting teased and ridiculed and life is difficult. And whether that bullying is happening in the home or it's happening at school, um, 
my my only you know and i'm not an expert in this and i'm certainly not a psychologist or anything but the only way that i found that i could deal with that cope with it and handle it in a constructive way is to focus on what i could control and what i could do and Definitely. you know there was also comfort in the thought that one day i might be able to prove the bullies wrong that i i wasn't this uh, piece of crap that they told me i was that i mm. i was going to be somebody because i was somebody um yeah. And so that was really important. So I just, I focused on my art. That was a massive challenge for me. And, and that's how I ultimately overcame it. Um, because there's a certain amount of time where the years just pass, pass and, and you, you end up looking back and you're like, wow, that, that's actually not my life anymore. Now my life looks completely different. And now I got a great bunch of friends who are, who are just like me, you know, and paint pictures and make sculptures and, you know, do interesting things. So uh, it's... I, it's been great. Uh, actually, it's been a great process of, of kind of coming into that and, and learning a little bit more about myself through that process. But I'd, I'd say, yeah, that was a big challenge for me. And I, I, I think I've overcome that. Okay. Probably, right, well, probably a little more information than what we were going for in that question. <laughs> well, that's all right. Um, I, I really appreciate that. Awesome. Well, look, we got a lot of questions to go through. And as I warned you in the beginning, I am going to talk, Cody. I am going to waffle. So you got you to pull me up if I'm going too long. But what was the next question? Question number three. All right. When you hit a plateau or artist block, um, how do you get through it? Mm. Because that, that I sometimes hit that a few times too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and I can hear the mountain lions in the background. The mountain lions also uh, are going, yes, artist block. We want to know. That's so cool that you got mountain lions. I just love that. Um, you know, the, the, yeah. the, way, the way that uh, I've suffered with this big time, the way that I've gotten around it, it's taken on many forms, but it kind of goes back to that thing that I was talking about just a little bit earlier. And um, kind of practicing you know things that require discipline in a way right. that you'd be able to take that discipline that you've you've gained and apply it to something else discipline has certainly helped me through artist blocks now i get to the point where if i feel an artist block i don't pay any attention to it i just get on with it and do it anyway and there's a lot of people out there that'll be like, well, yeah, but what if you don't know what to paint if you're just staring at the, the, the blank canvas? Yeah. So let, let, me just, let me just assume that that's not really a problem that I've suffered with because my, my problem, and, and this is a problem with a, a lot of the people that I, I talk to, you know, other professional artists is, mm -hmm. you know, we are, we are painfully aware that there is an abundance of ideas and a total lack of time. I have more ideas than I have time to execute on those ideas. And that's yeah. what gets me. That's the opposite of an artist's block. I'm, I'm rushing around like there isn't enough life to live. You know, there isn't enough hours in the day. There, I've got no time to waste because there's so much I want to do. So that's, that was a, a big thing for me is just recognizing that the, the sheer volume of work that I have to do, it, it kind of pulls me out of that funk. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's not to say, you know, early on, I, I did suffer with a little bit of that, of a little bit of indecisiveness and kind of not knowing where to start. So let's say, let's say you're an artist. And I, I know that you, you go personally, Cody, I mean, I know that you go through your bouts of, of what you call artist block. But I, I do see other people that I get emailed, you know, you know emails from these people where they're, they'll they'll not know how to approach canvas. I won't know, what, what, what am I gonna paint? There's so many different things to paint, I just don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. Um, my first recommendation would be, who are your heroes? What did they paint and what do you like about them? And then the answer might be, well, I don't know who my heroes are because I don't have any. Well, then you need to go and get some heroes. And by heroes, my heroes are, and, and you know, online, with things like you know Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and and Pinterest, Pinterest is a great one. Even Google or Bing, these are great yeah. platforms to be able to search and and find inspiration. But let's say you know one of my favorites, uh, you know, a, a few years ago was Pinterest, and I had a board uh, that I had on my Pinterest page, you know, called Painting Heroes, where I would just scour Pinterest for old masters. And I would just start saving them to this board. And I had everything on there from like drawings and etchings to figures, to portraits, to landscapes, to animals, a few wow. handful of living artists, but most of them were artists from the past. Like, um, you know, you know, the Victorian school, you know, uh, Australian yeah. impressionism, Russian impressionism, the, the, the romantic painters, the Pre-Raphaelites, the Hudson River school. And so I would look at these and I would suddenly feel this, this amazing wave of kind of inspiration. I'd be like, wow, these guys saw magnificent landscapes. And they went out there and they painted these magnificent landscapes. They got around magnificent creatures and they drew and they painted magnificent creatures. So I think that if you're feeling like you're in a, in a situation where you're not sure where to start, start there and look at what artists from the past did. You know, one of the things that I do is I'd look at these painters from the past and I'd just be, just be totally overwhelmed with what they could achieve. But I, I knew that if I wanted to be great, and like these painters in my mind were great, then I would have to do things that they were doing. So yeah. if they painted magnificent landscapes, then I needed to paint magnificent landscapes. There was no way around it. So if I hadn't seen anything and my, my reference material was a bit lacking, then mm-hmm. I would need to go and take some trips to go and see something magnificent. And then right. I, I can almost hear the question, oh, well, okay, well, what if I don't have any access to Magnificent? What if I don't have any access to something that didn't look like an amazing landscape? Like, you know, like, let's say the Great Ocean Road behind me, that painting hanging there. You know, okay. that, that's yeah. a spectacular, you know, piece of, of seascape, uh, you know, on the Great Ocean Road in Victoria. That is that's an amazing coastline. And I've, I've, that's inspired a lot of paintings from me and, and a lot of paintings from my heroes. It's, it's sure. an incredible place to, to go and find inspiration. But what if you don't have any access to that? So my, my next thinking would be, well, look at somebody like a, a, like a, a fantastic still life artist. Like let's take, let's take a Dutch still life artist, like a, a, a calf or a Dahim. And Google those okay. names, Kalf, K-A-L-F. Um, I think it's Willem. 
calf or decaf or something. Don't quote me on that. Go and do your research, folks. Google that one. But this this guy would paint beautiful still lives of of just you know flowers and various objects lit in a particular fashion. And so he would look at the magnificence of this this just observing this thing that was in front of them was just sometimes, you know, they're incredibly intricate, but it doesn't have to be complicated. You can even just take something simple, get a glass of water and put a rose in it and really look at it, really look at it, get a light, shine the light on there, learn how light affects form and how, what it does to color and learn how to make that thing a three-dimensional form in a two-dimensional space. To me, that's just as much of an adventure as climbing a mountain and finding this exquisite landscape. You can, you can get your brain to do that, to go, I, I could be obsessed by this simple thing and paint this simple thing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, just as much as I could a landscape or a figure or a, or a, a, you know, a portrait. So I think, I think starting from a place of just draw inspiration from what's around you, just pick something, pick anything throw yourself into it. I think what often happens is we get into this position where we're second guessing ourselves so much rather than just going for something. We just mm-hmm. will be, we'll be waiting to find that perfect idea or that perfect composition or that perfect painting. Stop sure. waiting until you find the perfect thing. You're never going to be ready. You're never going to be in a position where you're, you're, you're ready for that or you find the ultimate scene or the ultimate subject. It's not going to happen. You'll gradually build up to a point where you put together a respectful body of work. But for me, I don't realize those high points until I've already passed them. And I'll look back and go, actually, that was a really good painting that I did back there. The next three were kind of all right, missed the mark. But there's a few works in my past that really stand out. I don't know until I've already gone way past them and I just keep going. So I'm not on this in the search for something that is going to blow me away right there. I'm looking for something that I could just find a little shred of inspiration and just explore that. So my, so, so to go back to the start of, of that, uh, of the question, you know, what do I do when I have a block or I hit a plateau? Now I just bust through it. I just keep going. So often, I mean, a lot of people will say I have to be in the mood to paint. I, I need to be. I need to be in a position where I feel like I'm just in the mood to paint. I I I never have to search for that mood to paint. That that whole notion confuses me. And and it doesn't mean that I don't get burned out. I do. I do sometimes. You know, I'm I'm a human being. I do sometimes hit the point where I'm like, I need to take a drive. I need to take a day. I need to just go and see something else other than the canvas and oil paint and brushes right now. So that that does happen. But that's the different than hitting a plateau or a block. That's just overdoing it. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that the, the most important thing is for me now is it any, any kind of feeling of resistance before I start, I just start. And in about 20, 30 minutes, I'm, I didn't even remember that I was feeling that, that feeling of resistance before I even started. I was just like, no, no, it's now, now suddenly, now that I've forced myself to do it for, the, for that 20 or 30 minute period, now suddenly I'm yeah. in the zone, I'm in the mood. So just get started, just throw yourself into something and you'll find that you know, maybe it'll take you two hours. But if you get a solid eight hour day of painting or a six hour day of painting, then you might've had two hours where you struggled through and then four hours were great. And you'd be like, I really, I'm glad that I forced myself to do that. You'll, you'll break through it. Wow. You'll realize that you have the ability to bust through it. 
Wow. That's interesting. I mean, a few days ago, that's exactly what happened. I had a pretty big plateau a few days ago. Mm. Like, I couldn't do anything. I didn't really think of to push myself like that. Because it didn't even occur to me. I mean, it might sound a little silly, but um, I just woke up that morning and said, I'm not feeling it. So I didn't paint. But that, man, that mentality is really, uh, really encouraging. Yeah. yeah, you know, one of the, I I want to um, also just throw something else out there that that does help me. Um, that that you know helps me with the discipline. R- routine for me is very important, and I find that if I'm oh, if yeah. I'm out of routine or if I'm out of sync in some way, my work suffers. I suffer. I, I need to make sure that I get plenty of sleep. Um, enough sleep. I don't, not, not excessive amount of sleep, but for me, you know, six and a half hours is good. I'm good. I'm, I'm raring to go. Uh, I need to make sure that I eat right. I, I watch what I eat very carefully. Um, a lot of people might even, Definitely. would probably consider me a bit of a health freak or a bit crazy with, with what kind of me too. stuff that I eat. But I mean, look, man, I, I mean, I know you guys are very healthy over there in Colorado. You know, we try to do the best we can yeah. over here in the South Island of New Zealand. But I, I watch what I eat. I avoid, you know, uh, sugar and, and a lot of things that will cause me to have a crash, have a physical crash. Um, because oh, yeah. if you're physically not feeling good, it's very difficult to mentally feel prepared to throw yourself into something creative. So I have to right. take care of like, you know, I, I have to take care of my physical being in order to, to be in a mental oh, yeah. state to yeah. face something challenging like painting. So I just want to throw that in there. Um, that also has helped me with blocks and plateaus. Um, one other thing though, I mean, we're talking about, uh, we're, we're talking before a little bit about discipline. Allow me to just insert something here, Cody, because, okay. um, sure. w- one of the things that I, I, I used to do, you know, a, a lot of weightlifting, as I mentioned, now I've gone the other way. So I'm, I'm now doing uh, more kind of endurance type exercise. So a lot of running now. Um, and that's yeah. something that is you know, I found very difficult, still find very difficult to do, but that mentally helps me because there's a point where your body starts going, yeah, we're, we're good. We're done running now. The legs hurt, feet are sore. And to me, that's almost a bit of a plateau. So I just keep running. Um, you know, I'll, I'll set myself challenges and then I'll try to exceed that challenge. Again, that forms a very physical, tangible metaphor that I carry into the studio. It really helps me paint. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do the, I do the same thing. And man, it, it works. It's mm. great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exercise. Nothing like it. So yep. let's, uh, let, let's get on to question number four. All right. If your current self could give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Oh, wow. Um, work harder. <laughs> <laughs> work smarter. Um, Quit pretending and acting like you know everything. Shut up and listen. Everybody is your senior or your teacher or your mentor in some way. Doesn't matter how old they are. Doesn't matter what they do. There's something that you can learn from everybody. So just take it on yourself to pay attention and try and absorb as much information as you can. 
Um, right. But after I've given myself, if I had the opportunity to to sit down with my younger self, after I've given myself that that uh, very um, you know curt, abrupt, um, <laughs> almost aggressive uh, you know critique, I would yeah. uh, then turn around and say, you know, you you are you are on the right track. You know, keep going. Don't don't worry so much. Don't right. don't feed into the negativity. Turn off the news. Just turn <laughs> off turn off the news. You know, we, there's so much going on um, nowadays that can really affect our psychology and our mental state. One of those things that I found until quite recently, actually, it was it's only been the last you know, year that I've really made. And so let's, let's consider myself a year ago, my younger self as well. I, I would say it's quit wasting your time with the news. It's, and if you're supposed to know, and you're meant to know, you'll know, you'll find out. Somebody's going to tell you, listen, there's a big meteor coming and you've only got 24 hours. You're going to find out. There's nothing going on there that you really need to concern yourself with if it's if it's going to affect you in a very negative way i was one of those people that would hear something on the news it would ruin my week and so that was something that i had to uh had to kind of learn um that i i didn't paint when i was stressed out i didn't paint well um i painted well when i would feed my mind with things that lifted me up empowered me educated me inspired me in some way so now i listen to you know audiobooks um so i would have given my younger self uh i would have introduced to my younger self uh books by uh dr john d martini uh tony robbins uh grant cardone gary vaynerchuk uh brian tracy uh, E.T., the hip-hop preacher, I would have thrown these, uh, these, these names at my younger self and said, just turn off the television, turn off the news, listen to this stuff while you paint and uh, see if that makes a difference to how you feel and what you're able to do with your business. Um, Absolutely. And, then, and then I would have probably given myself some more educational books, uh, not just to do with business mindset, motivation, and all that sort of thing. I would have given myself some motivational, uh, sort of educational books that would have to do with art history, you know, history in general, ancient history, things that I was really interested in. So just to, to feed my mind a little bit more. The other thing that I would tell myself is ditch your friends. Get rid of your friends. Like the friends that you know are deadbeat dropkicks. You know, the ones that you know do not boost you up, but they pull you down. The ones you know where you're giving more energy than you're receiving. Some people are, are unfortunately, people are leeches. Some are. I'm not saying ditch all your friends. I'm not saying get rid of the good ones. But I mean, mm -hmm. I, if I was telling my younger self this, I'd be like, you know, I, I, there's, there's names in particular. I won't mention them, but there, there are names in particular that I would have gone, you know, you need to stop hanging out with these people yesterday and you need to hang around yeah. this person more because this person's better for you. Uh, this person, make sure that you're accountable. Make sure that you're responsible. Make sure that you live up to that person who you said you were. And these other people, they'll, they'll tolerate your BS. You know, your good friends... Um, your good friends won't put up with much out of you for very long. They're, they're your real friends. Your, your, your deadbeat dropkick friends want you to be a deadbeat and a dropkick just like them. So they'll tolerate any amount of BS that you have to dish out. And you know who they are. I mean, and so the friends that I have now, 
are friends that are driven, inspired, and committed to their creative practice. And they mm -hmm. encourage me and inspire me to show up even more with what I have to do. I, I hang around with people that aren't necessarily just like me. I mean, they're doing their own thing. They're their own people. They, they've got something different to add to, to the conversation. They're very, very interesting people. But there's no way that I would have had the opportunity to even hang around with people like that if I didn't, you know, have some sort of strength and resolve within myself to be true to who I was and hang around people that I really deserved, you know. So raise your standards. You know, that's something that I that I learned by listening to you know, Tony Robbins audiobooks was one of the things that he said that still sticks with me to this day is, you know, you want to change your life, you got to raise your standards. And right. so I did that and literally life changed overnight. I raised my standards and I was just like, you know what? I can't hang around you anymore because you're a loser. Sorry. Uh, and I haven't spoken to that particular person in phew, over 12 years. It's been a long time. Well, uh, and um, just earlier, um, we were kind of just a minute ago, we were talking about podcasts and audiobooks. Yeah. And I was kind of curious about that. Um, mm -hmm. I just thought of this. Uh, I was curious of what, like, what kind of podcasts and audiobooks, because I hear you listen to the Art of Manliness podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I was curious, what others, what others do you listen to? I'm, I'm kind of, I'm curious about that. Well, I, I, I wasn't a regular, um, I wasn't a regular listener to the Art of Manliness. The last episode that I caught was last year where, um, there was a gentleman that was being interviewed who was talking about the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And we'll recognize that hero's journey in mm -hmm. movies like Star Wars, you know, with the, the story of Luke Skywalker or Avatar. Excuse me. You know it. Yeah, like you'll know right. it from, from our, our, our literature and, and movies, television, even video games. Like we're obsessed with that story of the hero's journey, which is essentially this um this story of somebody kind of overcoming a challenge and becoming better as a result of 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 going through this challenge they start off from zero they end up at hero um so i, I enjoyed that very much and i enjoy some of the episodes uh on that podcast i do listen to uh joe rogan's podcast quite a lot i think that he yeah. interviews some yeah. very interesting people um one yeah. of my favorite guests that he has um is is a guy named jordan peterson um, and, and just to kind of segue from there, Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, is one of the best audio books I've ever listened to. I, I've listened to it now uh, twice. I'm about to listen to it a third time just when we put up our conversation here. Because that is just such sage advice for anybody. I, I think it's particularly relevant to artists or anybody creative. Um, there's a whole lot of things in there that have to do with with the discipline um and and taking a really good hard look at yourself Definitely. It's, it's really um and it, it's something that that i quite enjoy so i i do listen to joe rogan's podcast um me too there's uh gary v's podcast uh podcast ask ask gary v um it's a great show but mainly i i have to say mainly it's it's audiobooks cody to to be honest um <laughs> So the audiobooks, uh, I just finished an audiobook called The E-Myth, 
Um, I think on Audible, you can find it as E-Myth Revisited uh, by Michael Gerber. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic book about small business. I think it's important for any artist out there uh, that wants to go into business for themselves. If you think you're going to get by by just painting pictures and drawing stuff and sculpting stuff and just selling your work, look, it might happen. You might be that that one in a million that is able to do that without knowing anything about business, without knowing how to market yourself, how to diversify, how to, you know, just how to how to manage yourself, your daily tasks, all, all of that sort of thing. There's a heck of a lot that goes with with running a small business that. Um, Without that extra information and education, I, I'd really hate to think where I'd be. So I really enjoyed that one, E-Myth Revisited. And then Grant Cardone is fantastic. I mean, he's a lot of fun to listen to. He, when he's reading his audiobooks, man, he gets into it and he breaks from the story. He's a lot like Gary Vee in a, in a way. He breaks from the script in his uh, book that I just listened to called Crushing It. He'll break from his script and then he'll talk to you directly and then he'll jump back into the book. He's a really motivating guy, very energetic, very funny. Um, you know, Grant Cardone as well, very energetic guy, uh, but a lot of fantastic advice and a lot of, a lot of great takeaways there for artists. Um, so some of it maybe doesn't apply. I mean, a lot of it, is, some of it has to do with real estate investing. Um, but there's there's one book there, how to, how, to, how to keep and stay motivated or how to stay and keep motivated or something like that. Uh, but you can find that book by Grant Cardone on, on Audible as well. Uh, Tony right. Rodman's uh, Awaken the Giant Within, um, Unlimited Power, uh, some of his earlier books. Um, I had those as physical books. They were great. Mm. But there's one book, and, and shout out to Dr. Demartini. I, I did interview Dr. Demartini for this podcast, um, so people will be able to find that episode. But right. Dr. Dr. Demartini uh, wrote a book called How to Make One Hell of a Profit and Still Get to Heaven. Um, so a bit of a curious mm-hmm. title there, but a very interesting book. And I felt that there were a lot of lessons there for artists and creative people. Um, and it broke a lot of myths for me that had to do with money. Because if there was one hangup that I really had, it was about money and wealth. Uh, because I felt that I didn't deserve any, so I didn't have any. And I felt that it was important for an artist to starve and be that passionate, starving artist and fight in the fight, man. And you don't understand my struggles. And that was something that I'm glad I got rid of that. I kicked that, that, that to the curb. And I'm glad I did too, because now uh, it, it's completely turned around since I changed my thinking. So Dr. Demartini, How to Make One Hell of a Profit Still Get to Heaven. I don't know that he has that as an audible uh, audiobook, but I, I did. Uh, you can find that off his website, uh, and you, you can find that as a physical book. People will right. know Dr. Demartini, though, from a, a little book called The Secret. It was interesting. Demartini, I mean, he, he's probably, you probably find something online where he's talking about that, but he's a very interesting guy. They interviewed him for something like seven and a half hours for that, that film, The Secret. They interviewed wow. him for the film, and they only ended up putting in a few minutes. But wow. he, he had this whole philosophy, and it's very interesting. So he does cover it a lot in his books. So I find him a very interesting guy, and I, I, I like a lot of that stuff. So um, Awesome. And when, when you said you listen to Joe Rogan podcast and Jordan Peterson, I just thought I listened. Have you heard his uh, Joe Rogan's last podcast with Jordan Peterson? I, I was just listening to it before we picked up the call this morning. Yes. I just, I was listening to that one today when I was painting. Yeah. Cool. 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 
Yeah. All right. Next question. Here let's get on with it. Yep. Let's go. All right. Um, let's see here. How do you market yourself to art buyers and who's your target market? Fantastic. Um, good, good question. How do I market myself to my target buyers? You know, it's, um, that's it. That was a struggle early on. Um, because the market has changed for me as I've changed and as my career's kind of developed. When I first started out and I had my first exhibition back in 2002, it was 19. That was your first? Old. Yeah. So that was my first your exhibition. Your first exhibition when you were 19. That's correct. Yeah. My first exhibition. Um, so I wasn't, now, wasn't professional at that stage. But I, I, it was my first show, so I was still in university. A solo exhibition is a heck of an undertaking. I mean, to put together a body of work, you know, requires okay. a lot, and uh, you know, it, it it takes a lot out of you to put together something and sit on that body of work and then release it. That's that's a real, that's a real challenge. So, yeah, I'm yeah. about to have. Uh, go on. No, you're you're going to have an exhibition coming up soon. Uh, yeah, actually, um, in December of 2019 is my, uh, is the plan. Fantastic. Fantastic. That's great news, Cody. I mean, look, and, and I know people will see by the paintings that are, uh, uh, behind you. And can we, can we put in a link to your website so people can see more of your work as well? Absolutely. I'm just going to throw something out there for anybody listening to this. Um, And I'm not just saying this, like, because I know you well, Cody, we've been talking, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, for the last, last couple of years, at least. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I really believe that you are going places. I mean, the the amount of time uh, that you dedicate and just, just your sheer level of skill at the age you are now. I mean, what are you, you're, you're 14 now, right? Yes, correct. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, just looking at that, that bison painting behind you, I mean, the perspective is on point. The, the sense of subtle gradation of light from the shade in that hill in the background to getting brighter as it comes into the foreground. I mean, your work is yeah. just phenomenal. It blows me away. So, I mean, my Thank advice for, for, for anybody, if you want to invest in art, invest in this kid. <laughs> Because, <laughs> you know, I might even have to get get a painting because the thing is, is that you're you're going to be you're going to be going places and you're going to end up being, you know, a, a, a big name. I, I really believe that now, you know, I, I, I don't feel I'm just boosting you up because, I you know, as I said, I've been talking to you for the last couple of years, but I can I see and I know what you're capable of. And I also see the improvement and, and just how serious you are about this. So. You know, guys, if you're listening, just check out Cody's work, check out his website and uh, maybe send him a a message and and let him know what you think of his paintings. I I think you'll be just as impressed as I am. So, Cody, well done. Look, I'm really I'm I'm going to watch this body of work for your exhibition. I'm going to watch that develop uh, with with interest, because I think I think whenever you put together a body of work, like a group of paintings, working on across that many paintings at once like you you could start to develop themes and ideas i just i wish i could be there um that'd be phenomenal to see that you know um so that's cool but like we're talking about marketing and, and how to reach my target market so when i was when i was starting out um and i had my first show my market 
consisted of my friends and family. And, and that was it. Like I, it was the people that I could, I physically knew that I could reach with a, 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 a an invitation, put it in their hand and say, Hey dad, you're invited to my show, <laughs> you know? And then it would be his, um, his colleagues and, and friends, you know, from, from his zoo days. And then from there, a few people that went to university with me, but there was another thing that I, I kind of stumbled upon for that show. And I thought that what I really want is I want some wealthy collectors. So I held my exhibition in a wealthy area at a community center uh, or a cultural center. And it was an old, um, it was actually an old asylum back in the day, but it had since been converted wow. to this beautiful heritage cultural center um, in a little suburb wow. called uh, Applecross in Perth. And that area around Applecross was a really affluent area. And you just looking at the size of the houses, it just blew me away. I'm like, how do people have that much money? I have no idea. So I, I thought that wouldn't it be a great idea to print out as many uh, as many invites as I possibly could. I had a big brick of invites, like probably bricks of them, you know, and they were bright blue. Uh, and it was my exhibition. There's no pictures on it or anything. It was very simple. It just said my exhibition was called High Tide. It was all seascapes. And I said, come to my exhibition, High Tide. You know, it's going to be held here. Here's the date. I'm Andrew. I'm just starting out, blah, blah, blah. So I would have handed out, oh, it would have been hundreds, hundreds, over 500 of those things. And wow. at opening night, I ended up getting at opening night about 100 to 150 people at the opening. Oh, wow. First show. It was great. That's pretty good. And I, I nearly sold all my paintings, uh, except for a handful of abstracts that I decided to include from my university portfolio. But apart from that, all the seascapes sold. It was a fantastic show. And it was a wow. great way to start. So then I, I stumbled upon something. I thought, well, there's physical work that I could do to actually reach those people that are part of my target market. So identifying where they are, where they live, maybe where they work, where they play, you know, sailing yeah. clubs, golf clubs, tennis clubs, um, uh, you know, where they go on holiday. I could do an artist residency in these places. Um, right. You know, right. that's where, how I started reaching my target market. One of the other strategies that I did employ throughout the kind of middle years of my career was, um, you know, working with galleries. So I, I, I would work, I'd work with galleries and, um, that, that went okay for me for a time, but there were a couple of issues with the gallery model that I didn't like. And it became very difficult for me to reach my market because I wasn't the one reaching my market. I had a middleman that was reaching the market. Sure, I was paying them for their service. They were selling the work. They had the client list, but I wanted to know who those people were. I didn't feel like I was reaching them. They bought my paintings, but I didn't feel like I knew who was ending up with the work. I've opted uh, in recent years to work with galleries less and less, and now I don't work with any galleries at all. Um, wow. And so now I'm just I'm just representing myself. So the way that I market myself now, I mean, I've already built up a client list, and and, and I work with with people on an individual basis. I have mm -hmm. a website. I try to keep my website up to date. I accumulate names and email addresses um, of the people that buy my paintings. And I, I make sure that I get in touch with them when I have something available or I, I stay in contact with them to make sure that I'm uh, 
in their mind and in their consciousness uh, from time to time. So uh, that's one of the ways that I do it. But now, you know, I, I, I've reached a point in my career um, where now I'm, I'm having people coming to me. And, and there's a phenomenon that's happened, which, which I recognized also early on, is that the customers that you have are your most important customers. Those are the people that are actually going to end up buying your paintings again and again and again. Right. The other, so it makes up about 80%. It's, it's almost that classic 80-20 rule. But I've, I've run the numbers of this within my own business. 80% of my sales come from people who already own a painting and 20% come from people that uh, are brand new, that my marketing strategies have been able to reach them. Um, mm -hmm. And again, my marketing strategies now uh, have consisted of me physically going to locations where people will come face to face with me, seeing me actually paint a picture and be like, oh, wow, I want one of those. So right. I will do artist residencies. One of my favorite things to do is, um, and I've done this gig a few times, but I've been artist in residence aboard a particular ship where people are residents on board and they don't necessarily go for a cruise, but they actually live on this ship. It is an extraordinary, wow. extraordinary situation. But wow. um, I've been very lucky to be able to have that opportunity to work on board. And a lot of these people not only became um, you know, friends, but also became clients and they started buying portraits and landscapes and, and uh, various pieces. So that's been, uh, that's been extraordinary. And then through that, the friends of, of their friends, you know, end up becoming clients and collectors. So it just kind of spreads on a grassroots level. I, I can only paint about 25 paintings a year at the most. So I only have to reach those 25 people. Amongst that, 80% of those people are going to be people that have already bought. So let, let's wrap that, that, that question up in a real tangible way that uh, somebody would actually be able to use in terms of actual practical advice that somebody would be able to use. First of all, sure. get yourself out there. Don't hide behind the easel. Get yourself out there personally and get out there amongst it. You know, whether you go for the gallery model or not, you're going to need to have some uh, amount of, of presence physically being there doing your thing so people can see you do your thing. Um, if, sure. if you're too shy for that, then find a really good agent, gallery, or representative to... to represent you and let them handle the marketing side. For me and my personality, that was never a good fit for me um, mm -hmm. because I wanted to be the one that was making the contacts, the sales, the one conducting business and the one shaking their hand and meeting these people because these people mean so much to me. Like I love them. Like I literally have love and affection for them because by them buying that painting, they're allowing me to live my life and keep painting. That means a lot, man. Like that means a hell of a lot. The, the gift that they're giving, yeah. me, the opportunity that they're giving me, it's not lost on me. I'm so deeply appreciative of them that I want to know who they are, look them in the eye, shake their hand, sometimes even give them a great big hug and say, thank you so much, you know. Um, but uh, that, that was so important. So I didn't get that with the gallery model because the gallery model needs to maintain its, its position between, you know, you as the artist and the client. But if you're too shy then yeah, find a good gallery that is going to believe in you, believe in your product and will take your product and run with it. And, but you know, even getting into galleries, that's a probably subject for a whole nother podcast. But the one thing I'll say about getting into galleries just briefly is if you're going to get into a gallery or you find yourself like I was early in my career, getting rejected from a lot of galleries, 
pay attention to that feedback. I was actually rejected from every single gallery that I applied to and when I first started out. Every one of them sent me packing. Nobody took me on. No one. I didn't get my lucky break until I had my tail between my legs. I went back into the studio and I started working on the things that they told me. Some of them were just downright mean. Wow. And it took me a little while to build my confidence up again to the point where I was like, you know what? I do have something here. I know I have something here, but I, I need to work on this. I need to practice this. Look, you might find that you go through rejection. Rejection is part of the process. Don't let it get you down. If you can look up, you can get up. So just get sure. to work, get up, get to work and just work on the quality of your work. I think that sheer quality wins in the end. If you're able to create a quality product, quality materials do help, but I mean quality of ex execution, you know, are you able to render an animal so it looks like a three-dimensional, beautiful form that has absolute respect and reverence for this gorgeous creature? Are you able to produce a painting that actually communicates that, where people can gain some sort of insight or knowledge about that subject that you painted? I, I believe you're doing that. And I think, you know, knowing you and watching your progression, your quality is stepping up and up and up. So I, I think, you know, if you were to go for a gallery that, uh, you know, even if they said, hey, Cody, maybe now's not the right time, you would have something to go back and work on. But I think you're already off to a good start by having that quality there. So anybody listening to this, I think quality is a really important thing. You know, Make sure Definitely. that your work is, is of a high standard. Because also, you've got to remember, we are. I don't personally like competition. I don't go for competitions or awards. I won't enter them. I refuse. Um, but there is a certain aspect, if we are to look at the harsh reality of the business side of this, you are competing in a sense for, for you know, people's attention. And if somebody's got a few thousand bucks to spend, are they going to spend that on your painting or are they going to spend it on somebody else's? And I think quality right. in the end makes a deciding factor. Right. So um, how do I market myself? Okay. Being able to put myself out there and, and actually have a physical presence helps. Nowadays, okay. though, with the internet, this is a really important point to make. So do you mind if I just talk about the online stuff for a second? Please. Okay. So nowadays with the internet, with social media, with things like Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and our websites, there has never mm. been a better time to be an artist. There's never been a better time to improve your techniques, to learn about business, and there's never been a better time to reach your market. Your market yeah. is on Instagram. Your market is on Facebook. They're out there, man. They're out there. So how are you going to do that? Get yourself an Instagram page. Get yourself a Facebook page. Get, get a okay. professional Facebook page. Look, don't take it from me. I'm not an expert when it comes to social media. I'm just as green as anybody else starting out. I, and I really do feel like I am a rank beginner when it comes to the digital realm. I, I really am. I don't understand it. But I make it my business to try and do my very best to understand as much as I can. Um, Absolutely. I, I do have help. You know, my, my, my gorgeous wife does help me with my, my social media and, and maintaining contact with people online. And she does help with my website. We're building a brand new gorgeous website. You know, she's building it. So, you know, I do have help. I'm very lucky there. But having an online presence is really important. If you can have an online presence and you can put yourself out there, 
what it is, is like a really wide net that you're throwing out over there over a big mass of people. And you're going to draw that net back in. And amongst your catch is going to be one or two of that 25 buyers that you need every year to buy a painting. Well, you're already off and running. Now they became part of the 80% in your, our 80-20 rule. And those people will probably buy again. They might be, be able to buy something else that you produce that year. Or they'll have a friend that will, will buy something, you know, and they'll know of somebody. Um, that was really important aspect to, to marketing. Um, that having an online presence, putting myself out there uh, this year, um, actually, no, with, let, let's call it the last, the, last, the last three years have been, you know, great in terms of, of sales of original paintings. But right. this year, I've had my biggest clients come through, my biggest clients that I've ever had, period, come through one after another. Yes, because one gentleman, his wife wanted to know how to paint. So she looked up how to paint a seascape and whose video comes up, but yours truly. I love to teach, man. I love to teach. So I, I try to pour everything I can into those videos. She saw that. She really enjoyed it. But what's more is she lived in the area where that seascape was, you know, de de depicting. And so this client got in touch with me and he bought that seascape. And he also bought uh, the, uh, I commissioned another large painting. Um, it's just an example of I put myself out there online and then these people, you know, will find that they'll pick up on it and they'll turn around and go, actually, I really like that. I would like to live with that painting. I'd like to have that hanging on the wall. So have some sort of digital presence. I, I guess that's the main point. And learn from the experts. Learn from the best. Don't take it from me. I'm not an expert when it comes to marketing yourself in a digital way uh, mm. yet. I plan on mastering it. I do. If I'm serious, I do plan on mastering that. But I, I'm, I'm on my way. It's part of a process. But Gary V, if anybody wants to know, uh, Gary V, if you can kind of grit your way through uh, the profanity, because um, he does like to drop a, the odd swear word in there, then you know he's got a lot to offer. But there's also, I mean, look, just just YouTube. Jump on YouTube. How do I run a Facebook ad? How do I set up a Facebook page? How do I? How, what are ten hacks for my Instagram page? And you'll get dozens of videos of people giving you information for free. What a okay. concept! What yeah. a concept. There's an equivalent of, of dozens of university degrees sitting at your fingertips right now if you just jump online and start learning. That's it. All right. So awesome. that's, how, that's how I reach a large portion of my target market um, for my okay. original paintings is, is through, through online. Um, one more thing, though, Cody. One more thing. Okay. When you get a client, when you get a customer and you get somebody that has bought something from you, remember they're now part of your 80%. Now you got to take care of them. Now you have to have something to sell them again and again and again. A lot of people have a big problem with selling, especially artists, because our feelings and our emotions are tied up in the physical act of, of you know, creating this thing. When we part with it and we accept money, there's something about that that cheapens the whole process for us. So a lot of us have deep-seated emotional issues when it comes to selling paintings. I yeah. get that. I, I, I had that. One of the things that I got from a book by Grant Cardone called Sell or Be Sold, or there's a seller survival guide as well. 
Um, another one is if you're not first, you're last. He does cover uh, sales techniques. You have to be sold on your product first. When you're sold on your product and you know you've got the best product for yourself, like you believe in your product. I, when I say that, it does sound conceited, but I know that I got a good product. I'm not saying the best in comparison with somebody else out there. I am the best. I mean, the best of what I can do, what I can offer. This is the best I can do. I believe in what I'm doing. I have a responsibility to make sure my client ends up with my painting. I am doing them a favor. Yes, they're doing me a favor. They are paying me for that painting, but I'm taking care of them. I'm giving them the best possible painting at the best possible price I can, I can afford to give them. So I right. want them to have that. And my paintings don't come back because people, I get reports from people that live with my paintings are like, I love that painting, man. I love that painting. Thank you for doing your, your thing and keep going. You know, so be sold yourself first, be sold on your product first, and then it makes selling a lot, lot easier. So it's important once you get your customer, once you get your client, learning how to take care of them and how to sell to them again. All right. Yeah, I've, I've certainly experienced that. All right, man. All right. Well, you're on your way. All right. Let's get through some more questions. All right. Uh, what is your favorite subject to paint and why? Oh, gee. Yeah. I, I don't know how to answer that because I, I, think, I think for me, it goes back to that, that thing we were talking about. I have mm -hmm. more ideas, more things that I'm interested in then I have time to paint. So at the moment, I'm painting a great big canyon, a great big gorge in the Kimberley, you know, looking out, you know, across this river and, you know, there's big cliffs and rocks. And I'm loving that process. But when I'm done with this, uh, I'm going to paint a portrait. And that, at the moment, the painting I'm painting is my favorite subject. But when I start doing that portrait, I know that's going to become my favorite subject. So for me, with the type of artist that I am and what I love, it's very difficult to put me in a box. And I, I mean to do that because I'm interested in so much. I love portraiture. I love landscapes. I love seascape. I love still life. I love figures. I love historical genre painting. I love paintings of buildings and street scenes. I love on plain air. Look, man, it's, it's difficult. But I, I would say that in terms of experiences painting, one of my favorite practices is painting on plein air and studying from life, from direct observation. Because when you're in the presence of a beautiful, magnificent landscape, or even if you're painting a portrait of somebody from life, there's a certain switch that gets flipped in your brain and it's just the most inspiring thing to sit there and just try to decode and decipher how light works, how form works. You know, for me, I, I'd say it's all tributes to, you know, creation. I, I just, I, I'm obsessed with creation, with, with, with nature, with people, with human beings, with culture, with, you know, all creation in all of its forms. So, I, anytime I have the opportunity to study that, and that's what I do for a living as I study that in a visual way, it, it's just hard not to get eaten up with each and every little painting that I do. So 
I don't sure. know. Ne- next question. <laughs> I can't answer that one. That's all right. That um, it's like asking a painter. It's like asking a painter, "What's your favorite color?" Oh yeah, that that's a tough choice. Very tough choice. Blue. As an artist, <laughs> as an artist, you don't really have a favorite color. No. I mean, you could have your favorite range of colors, but you can't really have your favorite, like your most favorite color. That's exactly. that's a hard, that's hard to uh, decide. Absolutely, absolutely, Cody. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's what you can do. I mean, I, I don't even think about it. I don't even spare a thought about that. But uh, interesting question, all the same. Okay, what's the next question? Let's get into it. All right, what? Uh, let's see here. Where were we? What do you do to challenge yourself? Wow. Okay. A lot. I think life is challenging. Life is hard enough. <laughs> Life is going to throw enough challenges at you that you're going to have to overcome and you're going to have to be prepared for and work out a way to to rise to that challenge. Um, But there are things that I do specifically to challenge myself. Um, I I came up with a little acronym. I I hope this is an original concept, but I, I... it's not not a, like an original acronym or original methodology. It's certainly not an original concept, but um, so I don't know. But um, I came up with a with a uh, with a little acronym. Um, I'm going to give you the dorky, nerdy version first. the The dorky version is it's an acronym, and the acronym mm-hmm. is is Dub D U B. So. Mm-hmm. D-U-B and dub, I imagine dub as a kind of um, like a like an ointment or a medicine that was particularly unpleasant and it came in a jar and you take that that lid off the dub, you take the dub out and you'd rub a little dub on your day. And 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 that's what you had to do is take it as a dose. You know what I mean? And yeah. and I was thinking that sounds really stupid, but I'm not ever gonna forget it because it just sounds so dumb. But um, dub stands for difficult, unpleasant, and boring. So every day I challenge myself by attempting to do something that is difficult, something that is unpleasant, and something that is boring. And if I'm able to commit myself to a discipline of just throwing myself into one of those three things, or preferably all three of those things every day, then I know I'm going to be doing something that's going to build that mental muscle, that spiritual muscle to be able to carry me through. I've since come up with a better acronym for it, and I call it um, BUD, B-U-D, or your BUD. These are your buds. You got to remember, you, everybody needs buddies, you know, and these are my buds. And I, I take my buds everywhere with me. My buds are a bunch of jerks because they're really terrible to be around, but they really help me when I think about it. So just change it around to boring, unpleasant, and difficult. So let's start off with something boring. What's something that I do every day that's boring? Well, one of the things that I do, uh, probably not every day, but uh, no, close to, close to every day, certainly like five days a week, I'll do video editing. Yeah, sure. I find video editing uh, to be a painful task. It is boring. It is terrible. It is awful. Look, I love my subscribers. Like, I really do. Um, Just like my clients. I'm just so grateful to people that want to listen or seem to value what I have to say. Um, Right. 
So it's no, by no means disrespect when I say editing a video is boring, um, because I know that people that I really value and respect are going to be watching that 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 video. But the actual right. process, it's difficult, it's labor intensive, and it's mentally very fatiguing and challenging. I love hitting that upload button, and I love going back and reviewing what I've made, because seeing the whole okay. thing come together from a mess of video clips into this polished little film to put up on YouTube, that's cool, man. Yeah. Like, that's really cool. I enjoy that, that process, that creative process. But the long, tedious hours spent just kind of watching that clip, making sure the brush hits the canvas at the right, okay, and then cut, and then we're at that in the queue, and then the next bit, now i got to say this, oh, I said that too many times, cut that bit out, now we got to do the, the music behind the video, and then adjust the level here, and then adjust the level there, and I barely even know what I'm doing, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a rank amateur, um, but between, between Rachel and I, you know, we manage, she does a lot better than me, you know, she'll do a lot of rough cutting to help me with that process, but it's sure. difficult. So that, that's a bit that I do that's boring. The bit that I do that's unpleasant, um, well, there's a few things that I do every day that are unpleasant. One of them is uh, I, I will wake up at 4 a.m. Oh, yeah. That's unpleasant. That's not nice. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a really terrible thing to do, especially if you're not used to it. In the beginning, it was very difficult. And, and I must admit, there's a part of me because I end up getting engrossed in what I'm doing that I probably stay up a little bit later than I should so that I end up, when I get up at 4 a.m., I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have stayed at the easel so late or oh, I shouldn't have been editing that video so late or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's unpleasant. Waking up at 4 a.m. is unpleasant, um, but I do it. I carry sure. myself to a practice of doing that. Um, I, will, I will take weekends off and I will take the odd day off here and there if I feel I need to catch up on some sleep. But for the most part, that's a habit that I try to engage in is just waking up early. Now, make sure, if you're listening to this, make sure you're getting enough sleep. If it helps, seek advice from your healthcare professional, blah, blah, blah. You know when you're pushing it too hard. You know when you're getting yeah. sick with it. But for me, 4 a.m. is good. If I'm in bed at 9, I can wake up at 4. No sweat. I got seven hours, yeah. six and a half hours. No sweat. It's fine. I got enough sleep. You know? So... Um, that's something that, that can be, that can be unpleasant though, you know, cause you're still a bit uh, foggy, dazed and confused and have trouble opening. Yeah. Sure. The bit that I do that's difficult, uh, as I mentioned earlier is, uh, running physical exercise. Um, I do things that I find physically yeah. challenging and difficult. It used to be weightlifting. I felt that I was getting more and more unhealthy lifting the amount of weight that I was and ingesting the, the sheer amount of meat that I was eating. Um, so I've since cleaned up my diet and uh, cut out that physical heavy strain. Um, and now I'm doing more endurance type, type exercises. I love body weight exercises as well. Like I'll do chin-ups and push-ups and that sort of thing. So love that. Love kettlebells. So I'll do that, but that's difficult. So there's a certain routine that I'll do with kettlebells where I'll be lifting, swinging kettlebells. And I'll do, um, by the way, Funk Roberts, Funk Roberts MMA. Uh, he'll do uh, kettlebell routines. I've got a lot of routines from him. Difficult to do. Difficult to do. But if you do it, if you dedicate yourself to a practice of doing this, then it can really, um, yep. it can my, really be beneficial. And my kind of, I, I don't want to do it, but I push myself to do 100 push-ups every day. I mean, every once in a while, I don't. My man. All right. All right. That's hard to do. 
Yeah, I mean, I try to get another exercises, but I tend to forget almost because I'm so caught up in what I do. And sometimes I'll catch myself in the middle of painting and I get down on the floor and I'll probably do 10 or something. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I forgot to, I forgot to do 20 uh, an hour ago. Got to yeah. get that in. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, even though, I mean, even though I really don't, feel like doing it or sometimes it, it does make me feel good even just yeah. a little exercise yeah can make you feel kind of lift your spirits absolutely but you know in terms of doing it difficult as well like some people might be going well what are you going to do if if it you want to go for a run and it's raining outside or it's cold outside i go mm -hmm. anyway or when it's dark oh, yeah. like i just go anyway Definitely. So you, you just do it. And, and I, I will, I will put on my running shoes and my, my sweatpants and my rain jacket and I'll walk to the door and walk past Rachel and she'll look at me and she'll say, where are you going? It's pouring outside. Say, I'm going for a run. See ya. <laughs> I'll be back in 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, and, and I'll go and do it. And, and it's unpleasant while you do it. It's difficult, but when you get back, you end up just feeling just amazing energy and oh, yeah. just, physical vitality. And, and th this is the thing. It's a physical metaphor. If you can do that, what else can you do? I always say that, like, if I can, if I can lift that weight, or if I can run up that hill, or if I can, you know, do this amount of distance, or, or if I can wake right. up at 4am, what else can I do? What else can sure. I do? You know, and what it's meant for me is that I've ended up being able to work incredibly hard and, and stick at something that where mm -hmm. other people might not put in the sheer amount of effort. I, I, I said this to myself, and it's by no means original, but I did say this, this to myself early on where, uh, you know, I, I know I'm not the best painter out there. I, I know that. I'm painfully aware of that. Um, and I say painfully because it's not that I want to be the best painter. I just desperately want to be better and better and better. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I do know is I'm a damn hard worker. Sure. And I will work yes. my butt off. So where other people on a Saturday night are going out partying and they're going out, hanging out and drinking and doing all, carrying on, whatever, you know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the easel. I'm going to be painting. All right. Who do you admire and why? Wow. I admire a lot of different people. A lot of different people. So I mentioned earlier my art heroes. So people can see on my Pinterest page that I've got art heroes or painting heroes, um, and they'll find that board. And there's something like 700 odd paintings by various artists. And so from a technical standpoint, people will be able to see my influences there and the people that I admire. Um, I admire them because they were able to do an amazing job with their paintings, but. Sometimes, you know, my heroes aren't necessarily artists. They're people that, or, or maybe they're artists that I admire where people would be like, why do you like them? You know, you paint nothing like them. Let me give you an example. I, I put out a YouTube video about a year ago um, called Getting Unstuck. And I think that was a video that I dedicated to a chap uh, named Sebastian. He was, he was a great, he's a fantastic painter. He's from Argentina. And... Um, in, in this in this video to Sebastian, I think I was uh, I think that's a video where I was talking about my heroes. Um, yep. I'm pretty sure it was that one. Pretty sure. 
people can pull me up if it was a different one. But I mentioned a I mentioned a painter called Thomas Kincaid, and I got a heck of a lot of flack for that. People are like, "Why are you interested in Thomas Kincaid? Why would you go for an artist like that?" Um, and a little bit harsh in a way because I was thinking, "Well, hang on, maybe they didn't listen to what I said." And and I just want to take this opportunity to kind of answer your question, but also clarify something and just try and drive home a point that I was trying to make. And I probably didn't make it in, in, a, in, a, in a coherent way. Um, I admire people that are able to make something work um, that is difficult to do. I think if you can make it as an artist, employ yourself. Mm-hmm. So you've got your own paycheck sorted. You're not relying on right. another source of income. And employ teams of people to help you realize your vision, you're doing something right. And though he might have died too young, that guy died with millions and millions of dollars in the bank. Now, there's a few people saying that, well, yeah, but Andrew, money isn't everything. Okay, I know money's not everything, but it is a particular measure of success. And I think that there is a lot of us out there who do want some measure of financial success, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I looked at this guy going, here's a painter, I personally don't like his work. I don't, but that's not the point. He's a hero of mine because he was able to kick some massive goals with his career. He was he was crushing it. Like original paintings ended up selling for tens of thousands of dollars, probably hundreds of thousands in the end there. Certainly now after he passed away. But there was a point in time where Thomas Kincaid was the single most collected artist in US history. More American homes had either a print, a calendar, or something with his image on there than any other artist. He was able to market himself and put himself out there to a mass of people and capture the consciousness of a generation. Now, again, I don't like the way he did things from a technical standpoint, but that is not the point. This guy was a marketing genius. He put himself out there and was able to share his art, his love, and his passion with millions of people, and he made himself fabulously rich doing so. So my heroes are people that are able to demonstrate that they, they're able to, to demonstrate a level of, of, of expertise and skill, not only when it comes to painting, but when it comes to conducting themselves in, in, in business and in life. So I admire a lot of people for, for what they were able to do, not just in front of the easel, but, but with their career as a whole. You know, and, and I, know that, I know that Thomas Kincaid went through his challenges later in his life before his passing. I'm not judging the guy on those, those criteria at all. I mean, who am I to judge? But I do admire the guy for, for what he was able to do for business. So he's definitely up there as a hero of mine. Another hero of mine, let's take another hero of mine for a, a different, different aspect altogether. Right. Robert Bateman. Robert, oh, yeah. Bateman, Robert Bateman is a living legend. What that guy has done was spreading the message of the plight of the, the, the wild, you know, the, the environment, you know, the, uh, spreading his message and, and just sharing his passion and his love for nature. His, oh, yeah. What he's done socially for the issues that he's passionate about, whether you agree with it or not, he has been very, very um, successful in, in getting his message out there 
And you've got to admire that. You've got to respect that. So my uh, heroes are people, I try to kind of look at them and go, what do I admire about them? What do I respect about them? And can I isolate that quality? And mm -hmm. can I identify clearly what that is? And then the next part to it is, can I model that in some way? Can I do something similar to what those people have done? So can I learn about business in the way that Thomas Kincaid learned about business? Maybe I don't want my work to take that form. That's okay. But can I do something there to make sure more people know about my paintings and my images? At least it gets you sure. thinking about that. Can I say something about a particular issue or share a particular message where I could get people talking about that, like Robert Bateman had people talking about the environment? You know, could I do yeah. that? Um, so my heroes take many, many forms. Um, those are just a couple of examples, but you know, painting heroes again, Carl Rungus, love them. Uh, Bierstadt, Moran. There's so many names that I, I just couldn't even think, you know, how I could get to all of those names. Check out my Pinterest board. If you're listening to this, you'll find a few of those from a technical standpoint, people that I really admire, but, um, okay. I, I have heroes as well that aren't artists, you know, heroes that aren't artists. Um, I'd say, you know, Jordan Peterson is a real hero of mine. He's a real mentor. Um, I really enjoy uh, somebody like E.T., the hip-hop preacher. He's a real hero of mine. People that overcome some sort of adversity or challenge or massive amount of scrutiny, and they keep chipping away, they keep plugging away, and they share their message, and they share what they're passionate about, and they don't let up. Okay. Those are people that become heroes of mine. Wow. That's very interesting. So um, I hope that answers it. What, what's, what's our last question? We got a last question? Uh, yeah, we got one more question. And I really uh, appreciate what we just talked about. Talking about stuff like that kind of always kind of up, uplifts me a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. Look, man, I mean, look, it's important to know. I'm a big believer. We're, we're all in this together. None of us are really going it alone. We're all in this together. And I think we, whenever we have that opportunity to, to reach out or, or take something as well that is being offered by, by great minds, great thinkers, great achievers, um, there's such a wealth of information and material out there. Feed your mind, your psychology, your consciousness with something that is going to get you to where you want to go. Yeah, right. It's really important. Really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right, Cody, we got one more question. Yep. Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Oh, that's easy. That's easy. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so Elon Musk listens to this podcast. It's his favorite show uh, when it comes to art. And so in five to 10 years, uh, probably, probably in about seven and a half years, uh, I'm going to be on plein air painting on Mars. That's where I see myself. So uh, yeah. First on Mars. Our painter on Mars. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Serious? Yes and I, no. Yes and no. Yes. I, I, <laughs> I, um, I love this because, uh, you know, I, I set goals um, and I write my goals down and I read my goals every day. Um, thank goodness you can't read those. But those right there, those pieces of paper, those are my mm -hmm. goals right there. Those are my goals. And that's a list of stuff that I got to do that's going to help me achieve those goals. So those are my personal goals. Those are my business wow. goals. Now that's just for this year. 
in a box or a file somewhere here, now probably in that stack right there, are my list of goals for the next five to 10 years. So I write down my goals. I read my goals, my year goals every day, my five to 10 years. I probably don't read them as often as I should. I need to start. And and I would encourage everybody because I've just finished this audio book just before listening to the E-Myth, finished an audio book by Grant Cardone, where he will actually physically write his goals every morning and then write his goals every evening. I love that. I'm going to start doing that. Um, wow. As you can see there, that's a, that's a full page. That's a lot of goals right there. There's got to be at least 36, 45, something like that goals on that piece of paper. So to write all that down by hand will take a little while. So I might condense it into like my top goals. What does that do? It, it feeds my psychology. It boosts me up. It inspires me to go and achieve what I have to go and achieve. Um, sure. I've, I've said to myself, you know, that and, and again, being encouraged and inspired by the authors of the people that I listen to, you know, I, I've, I've tried to set goals that were ambitious, that were reaching for, you know, shooting for the stars. And one of the things I heard Martini say that I loved was, I'd prefer to shoot for the stars and hit a planet than never leave Earth's orbit. I just love that because to me, it tells me that you've got to shoot for the stars. Who cares that it's ambitious? You know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear people say, hey, be realistic. The only person who's going to know if you're being realistic or not is you. Right. That's the only person. That's the only person. Right. Let's say, let's just say, uh, I, I did throw that out there. I'm going to be the first on-plane airplaner on Mars. Okay, well, let's say that's true. Why the hell mm. not? Why the hell not? Why wouldn't those astronauts need some artistic entertainment? And why, why couldn't I be in a position to get on that shuttle and volunteer and say, hey, I'll go. They'll, they'll have to take my wife too. That's a given. And my dogs and my cat. But it can be done. Why not? I'll be a stowaway. I'll, I'll just, I'll smuggle myself on board. I'll, I'll get on that rocket ship. I'll go. But let's say that doesn't happen. Well, it's, it's a fun kind of tongue-in-cheek goal for myself. But what does that remind me to do? It reminds me to be more ambitious, to to kind of reach and strive. And do I I want to go on Mars? I would only want to go to Mars if there was a guarantee that I'd be able to come back. And so we might be able to do that in my lifetime, maybe. I hope so. So that'd be really cool. And it'd be especially awesome if I was the first plein air painter on Mars. I think that'd be fantastic. But I would be... Let, let's let's say that that it doesn't it doesn't happen. Okay, no worries. Well, let me give you an example of some other goals that maybe aren't so outlandish. Um, one of my goals was to set foot into some pretty extreme environments around the planet. I've made up a list of countries that I really would like to go to. So I have mm-hmm. goals that are I would like to paint in Patagonia. I'd like to paint in Africa. I want to see Antarctica. I wanted to go to see Alaska. I ticked that off my list. I went to Alaska. That was cool. I got to see that last year. That was awesome. Um, and I'll be having an episode of The Great Art Adventure coming out just as soon as I can edit it together and create the work that the episode needs to go with. People don't actually realize the lead time to make these free videos on YouTube sometimes can be pretty sure. pretty intense, pretty great. So um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've got lists of goals of, of places I want to be. So in five to 10 years' time, you know, I, I hopefully would have seen that I've been able to travel to more and more exotic locations and see more more of this amazing planet that we live on and meet more and more people and 
you know, come face to face with more interesting and diverse cultures and paint their portraits. And that's something that I just see as insanely cool. So oh, yeah. five oh, to well. 10 years, let's say in the next five years, um, what's on the, the doorstep for me is uh, you will probably no doubt see, hopefully it happens this year, but you'll see uh, me open my very first gallery where I'm going to be running my own gallery. That's right. That's right. Wow. So uh, I'm going to be buying my own building and I'm going to be running my own gallery. So that's next in the next five to 10 years. I would like to reach more people online and teach more people how to paint Um, and share painting and creativity and the joy of just learning this amazing medium. Just share that with the world. So in the next five to 10 years, I just want to keep hitting that as hard as I can and just share videos for free on YouTube with people and, and, and have tutorials that are available for people to learn how to paint. That's something that I want to do more and more of. Um, yeah. And I'd also like yeah. to, uh, I'd like to also like to have an exhibition that travels the world. Um, that'd be something else that I'd like to have happen that uh, would share with people the environments that I'm passionate about. I'd love to do that with Australia, with Australian landscapes. And I'd also really love to do that with New Zealand landscapes. Um, and uh, I'd say more 10, 10 years. Uh, I'm going to throw another little goal out there of something that I've, I've got that I'm, I'm working on and really excited about. Um, I don't know how I'm okay. going to do this, but I want to make a movie. A movie? Yeah, I always, I always thought that um, it'd be really cool to work on a movie and be part of a creative design team to do an environment or a, a concept design for some aspect of a feature film. And then I thought, like, like, well, why don't I just make my own? I was, so, thinking, I was about to say, what kind of movie? I really love stop motion animation. Like claymation almost? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You heard of, heard of Wallace and Gromit? Love Wallace and Gromit. Exactly like that. Yeah. But probably not, probably not so cartoonish, probably a little bit more realistic. And it might be something historical because I love history. Uh, so I'd love to do something that was based on a true story or a series of true stories that interconnect in some way. Mm-hmm. So I that's something that. that I'd love to do in the next five to 10 years. But where do I see myself in five to 10 years? I, I still see myself living in the South Island in New Zealand. I love it here. Um, I just see myself doing a little bit more travel, taking on bigger, more ambitious projects, sharing that with more and more people online, and uh, probably just moving on to the next step uh, personally uh, on on the family front. And and probably in the next five to ten years, uh, you'll we'll have little mini artists running around this house. So that's something else that I'm looking forward to, um, very much so. So yeah, that's that's where I see myself in the next few years. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think, is that, is that all? I think that's all. That, that was, uh, yeah, that was nine questions and, and some fantastic questions at that, Cody. Um, I really, I hope, really yeah, yeah. Look, I, I hope this has been uh, helpful and, uh, and that you've gotten something out of this. I really appreciate you yeah. taking the time to write to me, you know, as people would have also gathered, you know, we, we know each other as well, you know, from the last couple of years of me being able to, to coach you and, and with your painting and your art. And it's just been such a pleasure 
you know, watching you just grow yeah. as an artist and take on bigger and bigger challenges, like, and, and mm-hmm. seeing what you're being able to do now with your wildlife painting with still life with, with various subjects that you choose to do. I'm, I'm insanely proud of you and what you're able to do. But I, I just, when I saw this email come through with these questions, I just thought, man, this is, this would make a great podcast. So thank you for agreeing to join me on this podcast. And thank you for interviewing me. You're absolutely welcome. I really appreciate the opportunity. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Cody, it's been a blast. I'm going to be talking with you again very, very soon. But uh, look, just to let people know out there who uh, have listened to this interview, where can they see more of your work online? Uh, Cody at com is where you, where is my website. Perfect. And, uh, um, but your, your website, I know has a contact form so people could get in touch with you through your contact form and you're going to start yep. doing videos soon as well, right? Yep. That this cassowary behind me, that's going to be my first. Now it's, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as in detail as yours. Like there's a lot of skipping ahead of a few things, but it's kind of a start. And as I start to dive into it, it'll start to get, I'll start to get more into the process. Perfect. But that's just that was kind of a day painting. It took me about a day to do that one. Perfect. Perfect. I just wanted to see how it would go. See what happens. That's awesome, man. That's absolutely awesome. Well, Cody, this has been a blast. I will catch up with you again very, very soon. Thank you so much for joining us on the creative endeavor. And, uh, I, uh, I really, I really appreciate, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Take care, Cody. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor. And if you made it this far and you're hearing my voice right now, then you must be one sucker for punishment. I appreciate you sticking around. Hey, a big thank you to Cody Oldham as well for interviewing me. Now, Cody knows that I'm proud as heck of what he's produced so far. I know he's going to go really, really far. But take a moment to just check out his work on his website at www.codyoldham.com. And that last name is spelt O-L-D-H-A-M. Now, he doesn't have an Instagram account just yet. I know he's working on that one and also getting a Facebook presence up and running. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of The Creative Endeavor, please take a minute to just give this a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. It helps other people find the podcast and helps get some of these inspiring stories out to more people. And I really do appreciate the effort. If you want to find out a little bit more about me, you can find me on my website at www.andrewtischler.com. And of course, while you're there, make sure you're subscribed. It's absolutely free to do so. Simply go to the subscribe tab, enter your name and your email address, and I'm in touch with my subscribers regularly. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure being with you on the podcast again this week. I look forward to being with you once again in another episode of The Creative Endeavor.